0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, I speak with Solala Towler. Solala has taught and practiced Taoist meditation and Qigong for more than 25 years. He teaches Qigong and sound healing at conferences and workshops, and is the editor of The Empty Vessel, a widely respected journal of Taoist philosophy and practice. He has authored Tales from the Tao and Tao Paths to Love, and has a new book with Sounds True, The Tao of Intimacy and Ecstasy, Realizing the Promise of Spiritual Union. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Solala and I talked about Taoist lovemaking and the optional orgasm. We also talked about embryonic breathing and issues of sexual vitality. We discussed the watercourse way and relationships and how to handle a low or difficult period in a relationship. And finally, cultural misperceptions about healthy relationships from a Taoist point of view. Here's my conversation with Solala Tauler. In your new book, The Tao of Intimacy and Ecstasy, you introduced this term, sacred union. And I'd love to know, to begin our conversation, what is sacred union according to the Taoists?
1: Well, the sacred union could be at a number of levels um, anything from our union to our source, which the Chinese call Tao. And in this book in particular, it's about sacred union as a relationship with a partner as a form of spiritual practice. And actually, originally, I was calling the book Sacred Union, but you guys came up with this other title, which is actually much better.
0: So tell me a little bit, would you say there are principles of Sacred Union?
1: Yes, definitely, and these principles all come from the path that I follow, which is Taoism, which goes back about 5,000 years in China. And some of the very basic principles, such as one called u uh spelled W-U-W-E-I, and it means not forcing, not overdoing, not going against your own nature. And in relationship, it's something like not trying to force things to happen, not trying to make things happen faster than they naturally need to flower. So that's a very important one. And then uh, the water course way is another one about what we call, from the 60s, we call going with the flow, which is actually an ancient Taoist concept where they talk about water, water always flowing downhill, water taking the shape of whatever container it finds itself in. If you put it in a round container, it becomes round. If you put it in a square container, it becomes square. So it has the ability to flow with whatever the situation is rather than going back to trying to force things again and trying to force things into a shape that is not natural. And people have find a lot of frustration in relationship issues around these kinds of things of trying to force things, trying to make that other person fit the box that we would like them to be in, which we think is going to make things better for us.
0: Now, you know, you talked about not forcing things, but what would you say to somebody who has one foot in and one foot out of a relationship? And they're not quite sure here, what would the Taoist approach be? They're not really in, they're not really out. It's not naturally flowing in either direction.
1: Well, I, I guess I would tell the person to um, slow down, which is another big one that I talk about a lot in the book, going slowly. Because it is when we go slowly that we can actually feel and understand what really is going on, what, what is about to be going on, uh, instead of necessarily what we wish was going on. And so someone has one foot in, one foot out, that, that's a very good question. I think they would just have to um, maybe take some time out, to check in with themselves to see if this is really what they want or be fine with the way things are and just let things um, go naturally, uh, whether they go forward or backwards or stay where they are, just uh, be okay with what is.
0: I think sometimes when I hear people invoke the Taoist idea of just going with the flow, something like that, it can have a shadow side, which is a type of apathy or over lackadaisicalness or indecision something like that so that's what I, I guess i'm trying to address is how do we prevent u as you said the watercourse way from being apathy
1: well that's a good question and and really it's about being sensitive to to understanding or feeling what this flow is they, they talk about flowing water it, if it's just uh we do physical practices in Taoism. We do qigong kind of practices, meditation kind of practices, because people who don't move, when water doesn't move, it stagnates, and then it becomes like a swamp, and then things start growing in it, and that's that. That's not the flow of water. That's water being stuck somewhere, and so, and this idea is that in, in, in old old times, people would translate "wu as not doing, meaning do nothing. In the Tao Te Ching, which is the most famous book from Taoism, written 2,500 years ago, second most widely translated book in the world after the Bible, he talks about the sage goes about doing nothing, and nothing is left undone. Because the sage, or realized person, doesn't try to force anything. But it doesn't mean that we just sit on our butt and never do anything.
0: Now, so, Lala, you're the founder and editor of a magazine, a magazine that I remember reading 20 years ago called The Empty Vessel. It's a magazine that's been around for a long time. And I'm curious if you could explain a little bit about this metaphor, if you will, of The Empty Vessel and how it might apply to the world of relationships.
1: Um, Well, you know, we've all heard that story a million times about the guy who's so full of himself, and he goes to meet the, this teacher to see if there's anything else he can glean from the teacher. But it, when he meets the teacher, all he just goes on and on. I've been in, initiated into this and that, and I'm a close friend with this teacher, that teacher. And the, and the teacher's pouring the tea into the cup until the hot tea's flowing all over the table into the guy's lap and burning him, and he's jumping up and yelling. And the teacher is saying that, uh, you're, obviously, your cup is so full... It is overfull and is not only can I not put anything else in, but it's actually harming you. And so the, the Taoist approach is that you empty your cup. Um, the Tao Te Ching, he said in the world of um, knowledge, every day something more is taken on. You know, we're reading more books, we're stuffing more information into our head. In the way of Tao, every day something is let go of. We're emptying, 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 and the more we empty, the more we're able to be filled. And how that relates specifically to relationship, um, that's another thing where you meet somebody, uh, sometimes maybe you're nervous, you want to impress them, or you're feeling a little insecure, and you start talking, 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 and going on about all your accomplishments and all the things you've done, and you hope that you're impressing the other person, but usually... It doesn't impress the other person. It may even really turn them off. And if you can actually allow them to come forward, empty your cup so they can come forward and maybe pour a little into your cup, and then you can pour a little back and forth, like when you're having a tea party when you're a kid and you're pouring the little cups back and forth. That's one way.
0: Now, you know, interestingly, when we started our conversation, we started by talking about sacred union. And you mentioned that relationship and sexuality really could be a pathway toward the spiritual realization, the sense of oneness with all of life that many people are quite intensely interested in. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that, and specifically sexuality, what you see in the Taoist tradition, the relationship is between sexuality and awakening, if you will.
1: Sure. Um, You know, as we know, sexuality is probably the most misunderstood idea in our culture and the one that's the most twist, to get people twisted around to sell items, to have power over someone else. And um, in Taoism, sexual energy is just thought of as creative energy. there's a, there's a certain amount of energy that we receive from our parents at conception, which the Chinese call Jing, and that is, we all get a finite amount of that. It's said to reside in the kidneys, kidney adrenal system, and the aging process is as we use up that Jing, and we can use it up in a number of ways with bad diet, bad lifestyle, and as we, get, as we use up that jing, we, we start to get older, you know, we wear out. And so a lot of the practices we do, the qigong and meditation, the inner, internal alchemy practices we do as Taoists are to, we can't so much replenish it, but we can, we can hold on to it for longer. And sexuality is a form of creativity, it's a form of communication, you know, it's a form of intimacy, And when people don't understand sexuality, which most people in the Western, probably in the world, really don't understand it, then people get a lot of problems. They have a lot of problems in their life. And I think an interesting thing about the Taoist approach is is that a lot of our spiritual practices are physiological practices. And the idea is that if you are not healthy, if your energy is weak, if your emotions are all over the place and unbalanced, if your thought processes are not clear, how can you expect to have a positive, creative relationship with anyone else, whether it's sexually, emotionally, or even intellectually? And so we work on ourselves so that we can become stronger, so that we can work with a partner and play with a partner so it becomes more of a two-way, a two-way uh, give-and-take. And, and an interesting thing about Taoist practices is that Taoists feel that women, energetically are, women are energetically superior to men. And that even goes to they feel that women have a lot less work to do to become spiritually realized than men. And so the role of the man in Taoist sexual yoga is to serve the woman. And, you know, it's very obvious that men are the fire element, which is all too easily flames up and flares out, and women are the water element, which takes longer to bubble but can last a lot longer and communicate on deeper levels than a lot of men are prepared to do.
0: Okay, now what you're saying here is very interesting to me. When you say that the woman or that the feminine is energetically superior to yeah. the man or something. What do you mean, what does it mean to be energetically superior? Uh, well, I've, always, I've, you know, always sensed, I've always sensed something like this, but I've ne- never, <laughs> didn't know there was a traditional explanation for this. Oh yes, yes, this.
1: yes, yes, uh, yes. You, you know, it goes from the sort of cosmic level in the Tao Te Ching, he says, know the yang but hold to the yin. He, he compares Tao to the, uh, the primal mother, and men, physiologically, men, you know, in the sexual act, they ejaculate, they lose energy, you know, and often they lose interest, and they lose, you know, the, that connection, the deep connection, that the woman does not lose energy because she's, you could think of it as ejaculating, you know, her, her climax, she doesn't lose energy that way, so she's still ready to keep going, whether it's physically, emotionally, you know, and the man gets worn out and... Um, just like, you know, women, you know, many cultures, women are revered and feared because of their ability to bleed once a month without, you know, dying. <laughs> they can they can create new life. And uh, men can't do that. And I always think, well, if men were the ones having babies, we would carry them for about a month and a half tops, you know, and then we'd be done. We'd be ready to get this guy out. And... So so there's you know there's all those kinds of um aspects of it. And women tend to uh, are better at guiding projects over the long term. Men like to have a big you know and I'm speaking very generally here of course. A lot of men have they have a lot of cre- creative drive to make something to start something, but if it's going to take years before it really produces anything, they often lose interest where women are ready to, to stick with
0: it. Now, you also said that in Taoist lovemaking, it's the job of the man to serve the woman. Tell me, yeah. what, is that, what does that actually mean? How would that change the way most couples, or many couples at least, are approaching mm-hmm. lovemaking?
1: Well, it goes back to that idea of that men are of the element fire and women the element water. You know, the fire is re- pretty much ready from the get-go, ready to go. Where the water you know and I again i 'm speaking generally here, but water takes a lot longer to come to a boil, and you don't want to and so the man needs to and, and we I talk about this a lot in the book, the man needs to slow down those ideas that we were talking about way not forcing, and match himself with the woman, so that that implies the man slowing down and matching the woman and letting go of this the sort of Race to the goal of climax, and then and then he's done. And the more you do these physiological spiritual practices, like qigong, for instance, the less energy you lose when you do climax. But in the beginning, it's better for the man to hold himself back, and that way, and, and the only way to do, for him to do that is to go slower and to become very sensitive to his body, to where he is on the circuit, to her body and her energy. And going slowly, being more sensitive, you know, it's great for, for everybody.
0: Help me understand, you said the more a man does Qigong practices, the yeah. less he would lose during yeah. ejaculation of his energy. Yeah. So help me understand that.
1: Well, you know, uh, qigong practice, uh, qigong means working with energy, working with qi. Qi is the, the basic life force that we all have. Everything that's alive has qi. You know, the, the trees, the, the, the rocks, the animals, the water, you know, everything that's, that's alive has qi. And qigong is usually thought of as a way of accessing, circulating, and storing qi in our body. We live in a world of chi. We're surrounded by chi. It's like we're fish in the ocean of chi. But we block ourselves off from that chi. Or you might think of it as we block ourselves off from the healing light Uh, through environmental things, through, you know, maybe abuse issues or maybe just the way we were raised, the culture we live in, really doesn't support that kind of thing. And so qigong is a way for us to open ourselves spiritually, emotionally, and physiologically to allow that qi to come in and start moving through our body and opening the pathways that have been blocked. And we do a lot of work in qigong with feeding the kidney adrenal system, which is the seat of our sexual energy and creative energy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people walking around in this culture with really burnt-out adrenals because of lifestyle issues or, you know, uh, taking too many bad drugs or, you know, even pharmaceuticals can do it.
0: And you're underscoring that because if our adrenals are blown out in some way, it's going to affect our sex life.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, how can we find the right person if we ourselves are not healthy and balanced? How can we make the right choices? You know, how can we hope to choose a healthy person if we're not healthy? So that's what's so very important.
0: Now, you said something else, Solala. I always like saying your name. It's quite <laughs> musical. And you're doing very well with it, too. Thank you. Thank you. That if a man has not practiced Qigong, it's best to hold himself back so he doesn't lose so much energy during yes. ejaculation. And, you know, I can imagine a listener saying, like, really? Really? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to make a good case here to convince me why I should do this.
1: I think any man has had that experience. They're all hot and ready to go and they're really like having a great time and then suddenly they ejaculate and then it's over. They're tired. They just want to roll over and go to sleep. They don't they're not as interested in their partner. They they they're not or if they do it in the morning, they find their work day isn't quite as good as it was. You know, it's it's well known among athletes and fighters. Um, that they 're going to lose energy the night so they keep themselves you know from ejaculating the night before it 's just a physiological fact
0: okay now, and you mentioned that by slowing down and becoming more sensitive that that can be helpful, are there actual exercises that could be done that would help a man hold himself back?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, well you know even doing uh, kegels you know people associate kegels with women doing them for during around childbirth or something but kegels can be very helpful pulling up on the whole lower what we call the lower jaw or pulling up on the anus the 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 uh area between the anus and the genitals those kinds of things can make you stronger but i i think the main thing is i in my experience is to just practice going slower and being sensitive, and not being attached to doing it right every time, uh, that that's really the way to go. I, you know, they have there's, print, there's ideas that you use two fingers. If you feel you're just about to go over, press on the, um, hui, we call the hui in point between, between the, uh, the perineum with fingers. That actually cuts off, you know, uh, the ejaculation. But really, uh, after you do that for a while, you can just do it with your mind.
0: Okay, and just to be clear, in this Taoist system, women can have as many orgasms as they want. They can be multi-orgasmic. They can whatever. And since the job of the man is to serve the woman, this this is sounding pretty good.
1: Well, the man also can... um Gets there, there's an exchange of sexual energetic fluids, and the man can actually gain quite a bit from from the uh, having the woman's, you know, the penis is very porous, and the man can gain quite a bit. Um, you know, the, these are the, these ideas sound kind of crazy to, in the beginning, but he can actually gain a lot of energy from the woman also. So it's to his benefit as well.
0: Can you explain that? What do you mean? Gain a lot of energy from the woman's organism? Um,
1: you know, uh, you know, whether it's his penis soaking up her sexual fluids when she, you know, uh, has a climax. You know, she, there's something that's released in her that the man can soak up.
0: And What is the benefit from this Taoist viewpoint of soaking in this? material? Uh,
1: well, it's uh, the idea that the man is a yang, woman's yin, and the, that the yang actually can be replenished, can be thought of as being replenished from the yin. And that doesn't just mean sexually either, um, just being with uh, a yin, uh, either a woman or even a, just a yin person, you know, being able to replenish the replenish. His yang with yin. And yin can also be things like um, gardening, moving, working with the earth, uh, being in the ocean, um, being in the sunlight, you know, all those kinds of things, Uh, meditation, all these things replenish his yang so he doesn't just lose it all. You know, you go to any you know uh, retirement center, and there's a lot more women than men. Women tend to live longer than men because men burn themselves out.
0: Now, in the Taoist literature, are there references made to same-sex couples, either gay men or lesbian women couples? Or... Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, in classical, in ancient China, classical China, there was there was no moral strictures against that. The, the only thing would say is if there's two men together, um, for, they can burn... They, it's two yangs can burn each other out and that it's good for, for them to make sure they're getting yin energy from, from another place. And the same with two women, two yins. They need some yang in their life. And, and it is interesting how a lot of times same-sex couples, you know, one tends to be more of a, a yang role and, you know, in the book I have a whole, I have some exercises about if you're the person, whether you're a man or a woman, whichever one, you tend to be the young role, the more assertive role to give that to the other person, even for a short while, as an exercise, and let them become the young, even if they're a woman, they can become the, the young, the assertive member. And, and you could, you'd learn a lot about yourself that way, and it keeps things in balance more, too. And there are many absurdive women. It doesn't mean that, that you know, we all have yin and yang in our being. All of us have both. And there are many assertive women, just as there are a lot of really reticent males also.
0: Now, I want to take this just a little bit further. So if it was two men, and let's just say they said, yeah, you know, there is an excess of yang here. And you said, well, bring more yin in. How would they do that?
1: Um, well, there's there's practices you can do, qigong kind of meditation kind of practices. There's, you know, having friendship with a woman or friendship with someone that's very yin. Um, there's dietary things you can do even. You know, there's a lot of different options, actually. Because most people, they when they think of yin and yang, they think, well, you know, yang just means the really fiery, creative, outgoing person, and yin is the very, you know, uh, retreative person. And it and it really yin and yang has nothing to do with man and woman they're just two sides of the same coin is what they are really yin and yang originally meant the lights the sunny side of the hill and the shady side of the hill and yang is thought of as outward creative fiery energy and yin is thought of as going down deep into the water and we need both
0: is the goal in the Taoist system to have yin and yang in balance?
1: Yes, yes, and, and almost like a lot of other spiritual paths, is there's, oh, there's a sense of almost androgyny that the the enlightened person, the sage, the realized person, um, has everything in balance.
0: Okay, so let's just be a little bit more specific. If somebody's listening and they want to bring more yang into their life, very specifically, what would they do?
1: Yes. Well, um, there's there's this chapter in the book that talks about this, and there's simple things like um, going out in in the sunlight in the morning, especially when the sun's near too bright, and actually doing a practice where we swallow the sunlight, the sun energy into our body. And for more yin, you would do that with the moon. The moon is considered the yin. And you would swallow um, the moonlight energy into your body. And there are foods, you know, in Chinese medicine, all the foods are associated with different elements. And some are very yin and warming. uh, I mean, yin and cooling. Some are very yang and warming. So you can do things with your diet that way also.
0: Can you give some very obvious specifics?
1: Well, of course, anything spicy, Sichuan food, you know, is going to be more young. But um, uh, chicken, for instance, is considered cooling. Uh, well, ch- actually, chicken is probably in the middle, but there are a lot of fruits, of course, are cooling. And uh, the Chinese don't really um, like this idea of raw food because uh, digestion is a form of cooking, and too much, too much raw food will actually upset your digestion. And, that, and, and each one of these organs, and there's a meditation in the book that talks about this, where each one of our five major organs is thought of as an energetic, um, in an energetic way. And it's also associated with positive and negative emotions. So when our kidney adrenals are real, very low, not only do we not have much energy, but we're a lot more susceptible to fear, fear of panic attacks, night sweats, these kinds of things. And if our spleen energy, our digestive energy, is low, then our groundedness is low, our ability to empathize with others is low, and the propensity for worrying or thinking about the same process over and over and over and over. So it's interesting that we can approach it from an energetic point because... The emotions are also thought of as energetic states.
0: Mm -hmm. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. Help me understand a little bit how understanding the organs and their energetic nature and the associated emotions, how that might play into intimacy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's considered that the liver, our liver, which uh, is a detoxifying organ and uh, stores a lot of the blood in our in our body when we're at, when we're sleeping, and um, the liver has to do with flexibility, which is another big Taoist principle. And when our liver gets tight, when when we become too toxic, when our liver gets tight, then suddenly we get into a lot of, we feel a lot of anger issues. So somebody with a lot of anger issues who, you know, sometimes it's fine to be angry. We have a reason to be angry. But there are people out there who just get angry very easily for seemingly no reason. And it, it really makes a big difference in their relationship life. And if they were able to, through Chinese medicine or Qigong meditation, treat their liver so that their, their ability to be more flexible in their life, that can really uh, have a lot to do with how well their relationships go. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example.
0: So Lala, I'd like to know a little bit about you and how you came, first of all, to Taoism.
1: Well, um, I've always been interested in Eastern uh, mysticism. I, I grew up in the 60s, and there was a lot of interest in Eastern philosophy and mysticism, and I practiced yoga back in Boston in the 60s, and um, studied Zen for quite a while, and it was, uh, I got sick, I had uh, chronic fatigue syndrome for like 12 years, till I was totally bedridden, had three young children, was going to acupuncture school, had a business had to drop everything and just go to bed for go to bed for three months um so i was totally bedridden, and chinese medicine is the only thing that is practically the only thing that can help with that syndrome because it's it in western medicine is considered no cure it's thought of as, as sort of an autoimmune disease and they just tell people to rest and so chinese medicine got me out of bed chinese herbs and then i got interested of well, what's the philosophy behind Chinese medicine? This is like 25 years ago. And then I discovered Taoism, and I discovered uh, my main Taoist teacher, Hua Ni. started reading his books and started studying Qigong, and um, Chinese herbs is what got me out of bed, and Qigong is what cured me.
0: And then this move to really look at the Taoist approach to intimacy, how did that happen in your life?
1: Um... Well, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome is a severe kidney-adrenal exhaustion. So I had no sexual energy. And uh, when I did have a little, uh, I would lose it very easily. And so when I started looking into the Taoist practices, I discovered, you know, Montakchia Chia has some good books and uh, other people discovered this. Wow, this is a whole different idea. This is a whole different approach you know, this might be really good for myself physically, but it also started opening a lot of doors of intimacy and deeper communication and communication with my partner at the time.
0: Now, what would you say to somebody who wants to have more sexual vitality? They find themselves in a low sexual desire place.
1: Um, they should see it. am uh, a practitioner of Chinese medicine because they'll be able to help them with their kidney adrenal uh, loss or, you know, what we call kidney deficiency. Um, they should do meditation qigong practices to build their energy. They should look into these sexual practices so they don't lose their energy every time. I mean, those are all ways um, that they can regain their sexual energy and, and, and no ways to redirect it are, because sexual energy is also our creative energy. And when, we, when our sexual energy is really low, our creativity is really low as well. So all of these, the, the beauty of the Taoist approach is that it's all multi-level. It's never, you're never working on one level. All these other levels um, are, eff, are affected
0: Do you think it's possible that someone could be putting their creative energy into things that aren't sexual but are into writing projects or other kinds of creative endeavors? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. But but therefore, their sexual vitality seems low because they're pouring that energy out in other ways?
1: Um, It could be some of that. It it depends on, you know, if they're drinking a lot of coffee and staying up all night and working on these projects and their adrenal energy gets low. there are some people that are just not that sexually oriented, and really their their great experience in their life is what they create in their music or their writing or their directing of films or acting or performing. It's not necessary to everyone. And it's not about becoming some kind of sexual athlete. Even in China, this stuff got corrupted. And so then it was the whole idea of the man almost like a sexual vampire, just sleeping with a lot of young women and taking their yin essence for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, every wonder, every wonderful thing gets gets corrupted by human beings.
0: Now, what if a couple has a desire differential where one partner would like to have sexual Experience a lot more frequently. Yeah, what does the Taoist tradition have to offer in these kinds of situations?
1: Well, I think um, you know they have to be honest with each other, open with each other, communicate very well with each other, and be able to be flexible with each other. You know, one person may extend more than they than they would naturally. The other person may not. You know, ask for something less than they would left on their own to find the happy medium. It's all about finding the happy medium.
0: Now in Qigong breathing, and you introduce this in the book, the breath of focusing on the lower belly, breathing into the belly itself. And I'm wondering if you can introduce people to how to do that, and then also help us understand how that might relate to our sexual drive.
1: Well, the, um, in Taoism, we just have three centers, like three chakras, and we have the uh, and they're called dantians. Dantian means field of elixir or field of medicine, and we have a upper dantian in the third eye level, middle dantian at the heart center, and lower dantian is in the abdomen. It's usually thought of as like three finger widths below the navel and a third of the way inside our abdomen. And this is kind of like our foundation, our energetic foundation. And when we do this diaphragmatic breathing, and, and people in yoga use this kind of breathing as well. Opera singh uses this kind of breathing. The idea is this, when we inhale, our abdomen expands. When we exhale, our abdomen contracts. And what you're doing physiologically is the diaphragmatic muscle is moving up and down and massaging all our uh, our organs down below, our digestive organs, so it brings more blood and chi into that part of our system. And also when we do our meditation, you know, one of the the meditations is we're breathing through our nose, is as we breathe in, our abdomen expands. And we imagine that we're breathing in healing light, healing chi that's going down into our system and filling our system with this healing light, healing chi, and going to all the places that have disease or pain or stuck energy and kind of opening them up. And then as we exhale, we imagine that we're breathing out any pain, distress, disease, and we see it in our mind's eye as black smoke coming out of our, our nose. And it's a way of grounding ourselves, of centering ourselves. Um, when I was a kid in the fifties we had this toy that was a doll, a plastic doll that was weighted in the bottom with a weight, and you would every time you knocked it over it would pop back up. And the idea is the more we ground ourselves, the more we fill ourselves from the bottom up the more we have um, this this sense of weightedness in our lower dantian, then we're just like those dolls, so that when we get knocked over in life, instead of just lying on the floor and whining, we're able to pop back up. And that's a very, very foundational practice in almost all Qigong and Taoist meditation practice. And it's amazing what people will feel, people who never felt grounded, people who walk around, their entire life is lived from their neck up. You know, they don't have a sense of who they are in their body. They don't have a sense of a connectedness to the earth or other life forms around them. And they, d- they understand it all intellectually, but they don't get it physiologically in their body. And in Taoist practice, it's not enough to just understand these principles intellectually, we need to really feel them and experience them in our body.
0: So on the inhale, how do you make sure that you're taking in fresh energy? What are you visualizing on the inhale?
1: We're visualizing, people can visualize like a a glittering energy or a white cloud of energy. You know, healing in our mind's eye, we see this healing light coming in to our body and filling our entire system.
0: And is it coming in through the nose and then traveling down the body or coming in through yeah. all the pores? Yeah, uh, in, in or? the
1: beginning, in the beginning you you do, you know, cuz in the beginning we keep things very simple and we're we're imagining we're we're breathing into our nose, but really the next step is to imagine you're actually breathing right into your navel. You know, because the na- navel is, is a really important center where we receive, when we're in utero, where we receive our oxygen and all our nutrients. And so sometimes they call this embryonic breathing, as if we are actually in utero in the universe, you know, and we're still connected to the Great Mother, and we're receiving our nutrients, our life support from the Great Mother, and we're receiving it through our navel, through our lower dantian. Uh, I just say when you build a house, you build it from the foundation up. You don't start with the roof. You start with building a strong foundation.
0: So breathing in this glittery energy right into our navel, and then it travels three finger widths down into this area that you're calling the lower dantian?
1: Yes, and, and then expands throughout our body. Hmm. So there's a feeling of expansion. Not only is our abdomen expanding, but we feel our whole our whole being is expanding and contracting just like stars do. You know, just like flowers do. They open and they close, they open and they close. They don't stay open all the time. They don't stay closed all the time. You know, there's that back and forth, that give and take.
0: And do you see some connection between the practice of this embryonic breathing and our sexual vitality and pleasure?
1: Well, I think the more we are grounded in our body, of course, we're going to feel things differently. You know, when we're approaching our sexuality just from our head, just from images that we see on the computer or in advertisements or something, our whole experience with our partner is going to be very different than when we come to them, especially when we're both grounded in our body, are able to not only be sensitive to our own body, but to our partner's that I think could make a big difference.
0: Now, there was a very interesting chapter in your new book on the Tai Chi of Communion, where you were looking at the principles of Tai Chi applied to relationship. And I'd love to talk with you about a couple of these Tai Chi principles. One that you mentioned was receiving with emptiness. And I'm wondering if you can explain... That principle in Tai Chi, and then how you think it can be applied to relationship
1: well, part of it goes back to what we were talking about having the empty cup being empty, you know the empty vessel I name my magazine that because there 's a line in the Tao Te Ching that says Dao is an empty vessel, always ready to receive you can take out you can take energy out from it, but it never is empty itself it 's it's an empty vessel, just like the empty cup we 're talking about. And in tai chi, most people practice tai chi nowadays as a relaxation, meditation, health practice, and tai chi is a qigong practice because we're working with qi, and we have these principles of sometimes we're moving forward, sometimes we're pulling back. Sometimes you you need to be forceful, you need to be yang in a relationship, in a communication, in a instance of communicating with someone, your partner or someone you work with, you know, someone in your family, and then other times it's way better to not be forceful, to let them take, you know, to say what they need to say, let them move forward and you move backward, and it's a way of communication and communing um, so that there's always a sense of balance is a give and take.
0: In thinking about the principle receiving with emptiness, I was thinking about conflicts in relationships and how that principle might be helpful in a conflict. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that.
1: Yeah, a lot of times when there's a conflict, sometimes we feel like we've been wronged and we feel very self-righteous or we feel very hurt or we feel very angry and we feel like it's very important to let the other person know that they were wrong in wronging us and we can feel very attached to making sure they really get it and that they and sometimes we may even want them to feel bad the way we feel bad and that just escalates everything that doesn't really get us anywhere and there are ways to communicate you know that i i feel hurt by something you did or said and you know to understand also that Part of this is my own pattern from childhood, from past relationships. You know, it may not really have anything to do with the other person. And that the more we approach the, uh, with this of not trying to get back at the other person or make the other person wrong or hurt the other person in turn, we can actually communicate with them in a much more clear way that they can see what it is that's not working. But they don't f- have to feel defensive If you're not attacking someone, they don't have to get defensive. You know what I mean. So if you feel, so then they don't have to lash out. And that that can go a long way towards better communication.
0: Now there was a another Tai Chi principle that I thought was quite interesting that you applied to relationship, and it's the principle of rootedness. And I wonder if you can speak to that.
1: Well, it's back to that thing that if we're not, we don't have a strong sense of connection of rootedness. Um, Whenever I teach Qigong, I always have the first practice we do is we're standing and we're using our mind intent or our imagination to send roots from the bottom of our feet down into the earth so that we're like a tree with roots that are really strong in the earth. So that when the wind blows us, we can, our limbs can dance in the breeze, but we don't get knocked over. We don't get hurt as easily. We don't get knocked off our center as easily. You know, We're able to be more um, true to, to our, our real nature, our, our true nature in our communication and relationship with other people, all the other people that we're in relationship with. Because if we don't, like, uh, you know, if we're not rooted, we're not grounded, we're easily knocked off. You know, we're going through our life with one, you know, we all know people that just go through one terrible experience after another or, you know, one anxiety after another. They're always in a state of panic or a state, you know, in this kind of ungrounded state.
0: Now, one of the things I thought was interesting in the practice that you offer in the book about rootedness is you describe, as you just did, about an individual becoming rooted by visualizing their roots going down in the ground five times the size of their natural height. But then you also okay. had a second part where you could visualize you and your partner's roots intertwining together.
1: Yeah, And I thought yeah. that
0: was quite intriguing.
1: Yeah, then you're more like a forest instead of just a tree. You're not a lone tree anymore. You're a little closer to being a forest. You know, when we look at trees, you know, I always say you look at, visualize a tree, what do you think of? You see a a trunk with limbs and branches and leaves and maybe flowers or fruit. But actually, when we look at a tree, we're only seeing the top half. There's a whole other half, which is sometimes even larger in the root system. And we all have that ourselves. The, the face that we show to the world is only the top half of this tree. And if people don't know how to see you, to see your roots, or you don't have an experience of being rooted yourself, you can't show that to other people and you can't feel that with other people. And certainly with your partner, I would think that that would be important for you to feel that with each other. So it's not you're just not physically, emotionally, energetically entwined but your your roots are actually entwined. It's a beautiful thing.
0: Now, so Lala, our program is called Insights at the Edge. And one of the things I'm always curious about is how it's actually going for people, putting what they know into practice in their lives, and especially in an area like relationships, relationships and sexuality. I mean, such a challenging part of mm-hmm. life for most of us. And I always want to know what people's edge is. And so I'm curious if you're willing here to share, to whatever degree you're comfortable with our listeners, what aspect of the Taoist principles of sacred union have been the most challenging for you in your life to really put into practice?
1: Well, interesting you should ask that because I was married for 25 years, um, became divorced, And nine months later, almost to the day, I met the woman who I'm partnering with now. I'm the first guy she's ever lived with. She had a lot of emotional, um, energetic um, issues. And so I got to use, what was great is I got to use all my Taoist training in going slowly, slower than I may may have wanted to go with being okay with what was actually going on rather than what I wish was going on with accepting her for who she is and she still we've been together nine years now and she still tells me how great it is that she feels totally accepted for who she really is with all her foibles and everything just like we all have and that feeling that she was able to feel safe and accepted is what allowed her to flower and open to me. So it was great that I got to use these these things I've been studying for so long in a very concrete way and have it work.
0: But would you say, even in your life right now, your current life, that there's an edge for you, meaning really a part of all this that's still kind of hard and challenging?
1: Um, well, for me, it's more along the lines of business kinds of things, you know, living on the edge. Uh, trying to find that balance of overworking or being or not working enough you know i'm naturally very lazy but then there's a part of me that really wants to accomplish some things and share all these things that i've been practicing and learning for so many years with other people because when i do i get the response that, that it can be very helpful for people and and uh and fun and exciting
0: okay now going back to the book for a moment there was another section of the book that I found quite interesting, which was talking about cycles in relationship and how in our relationship we often have hard times as well as really good times, and that the Taoists can help us understand the low times and have a point of view during those hard, difficult times. And I'm wondering if you can share what that is, how the Taoists help advise us during the difficult Um, part. Yeah, I don't
1: know if you've heard of, there's a book that a lot of people use, not just Taoist, but but one of the most ancient books on the planet really is called the I Ching or I Ching. And it's a book that, that, uh, it's a book used for divination and also what we call cultivation. In in Taoist practice, we call spiritual work self-cultivation. It's like we're planting a garden. We, we, We clear the area, we clear uh, all the old weeds and things out. We plant seeds and then we nurture them, we water them, we watch them. We don't try to... We try to let them grow naturally in their own time, and we harvest them when it's time to harvest them. And we all go through these. We all go through big life cycles. Sometimes we go through many cycles in one day. and Sometimes our energy is low, sometimes it's up, sometimes we're feeling open, sometimes we're feeling closed. You know, and and the idea that that's natural, that's fine. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Sometimes people feel like they want everything to be going really great at all times. And when they go into a low cycle, they get really scared. And the I Ching teaches us that all low cycles transform to high cycles, and high cycles transform into low cycles. So when things are going really great, you don't overextend because inevitably, things are going to turn into a lower cycle. Or when you're in a lower cycle, don't, get, don't give up hope, become hopeless and despair. Um, the, the image is used as the water is going down, you know, the flowing water, and then it hits a dam and it gets stopped. And sometimes in life we're at these junctures where we feel we're stopped and we can't force our way through the dam. And all we can do is to be peaceful within ourselves and... Wait for the water eventually will rise and flow over the dam again. And so sometimes the most you can do is to not do anything. Back to that oo way that we started talking about in the very beginning here. And so don't. if your partner may be in, in a different cycle than you, sometimes you're in the same cycle together and it's great, or sometimes you're both in a low cycle and it can be very challenging. But to respect, respect the cycles and uh, realize that's part of life and be able to work with them. I used to tell uh, my girlfriend that I didn't want us to get into a rut, but I wanted us to get into a groove.
0: Mm. I like that. Now, in many ways, this question may allow you to summarize many of the things we've talked about, but I'm wondering if you had to name just a handful of what you think are the core misperceptions about relationships and sexual fulfillment in our culture, the most pervasive misperceptions? What do you think they might be?
1: Mm. Mm. Boy, you really ask good questions. Well, I think everybody, uh, you know, from the movie, the thing, one of the things I hate in movies where it's supposed to be a, a beautiful, passionate relationship um, that's just beginning or is happening, and you see the the two people physically crash into each other start tearing each other's clothes off and it's this very you know it's like almost like they're so excited but it but it's it's a very ungrounded and, and and people feel like that's what true passion is. You need to want to crash into each other, rip each other's clothes off. And usually, at least in the movies, it lasts, you know, two, three minutes. And then for a lot of people, that is what it lasts. And people think they have, or they feel like they read a few books on tantra or sexual yoga and they need to become some sort of sexual athlete um, to be fulfilled. Or they feel like this, you know, you know, uh, A real difficult thing in relationships is when you expect the other person to fulfill every one of your needs and to be there for you in every way that you want someone to be there for, and then you're greatly disappointed when they can't possibly fulfill that because it's not humanly possible. And whether that's emotionally, sexually, energetically, you know, those kinds of things, people have to get real. And the real can be very beautiful, and the real can be more of a dance, a graceful dance, than a crashing together. And people think they have to have this incredible drama of passion going on. And, And then when you're together for a number of years, that drama kind of starts going down a little bit. But as long as you keep that idea that you're in the groove and not allow yourself to get into the rut... Um, the passion can come in a lot of different ways, and sometimes it comes it 's very quiet
0: Tell me what you mean by the groove because I mean I have some ideas, but tell me what that means to you
1: yeah it's it 's like uh dancing with someone you, you know when you feel like the music is moving you and 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 it 's sh- and the music is just showing you which way to go, and the more you listen to it, the more it shows you where to go and you 're with your partner and you 're both moving to the music. And you may hear totally the music in a totally different way because you're totally different people. And then you also find a way to be in the same um, groove, with groove with the other person and dance with them that's in a light, graceful, fun way. And sometimes it's just wa- brushing against each other in the kitchen as you're walking past each other in the morning. Sometimes it's, it's in high passion drama. And sometimes it's just sitting next to each other reading a book, be- each being in your own world, but also feeling a closeness together. And you're not, you know, and it's so very important not to make that other person be the be-all, end-all of the world for you. Because it's too much pressure for both of you.
0: Now, Solala, I just have one last question for you. I was reading okay. on your blog a piece where you say that your personal practice these days consists in something that you call looking up.
1: <laughs> What's looking yeah. up? Well, it started with walk, you know, taking walks, realizing, "Oh, my head is down too much. I need to pick my head up." And then it, it was. It moved into looking up and seeing the tops. I love to sit in my yard. There's a lot of huge trees in my neighborhood. Of Seeing the tops of the trees dancing in the breeze. And looking up in uh, even in cities, especially some of the older cities, you can see a lot of interesting buildings and a lot of things that are at the top of the buildings that you wouldn't see if you were just looking straight ahead. And sometimes looking up can mean taking a different approach you know sometimes i take my walk i tend to go through the neighborhood in a certain way some days i do it backwards and i see different things suddenly there's a sign these people have on their fence that is very playful and fun that i never saw before because i'm usually coming from the other direction and also it's something about taking the more expansive view you know, it's like when we're watching a movie on a television. In the beginning, we get, we see the wall, the television, the screen. And as we get more drawn into it, all we see is the film. We're in the film. We don't see the bigger picture. And sometimes in our life, we're in a low cycle. We're in a challenging cycle. And we're so caught up in what's going on right then that we lose sight of the bigger picture, of where our our spiritual journey is taking us. And that we have been in great places before, and we probably will again. And this is the time to not try to force our way or break our way out of this situation. Relax, gather our chi, take an expansive view, look up. It can also mean looking within.
0: I've been speaking with Solala Towler. I just love his name. It sounds like water flowing to me, Solala Towler. With Sounds True, he's the author of a new book, The Tao of Intimacy and Ecstasy, Realizing the Promise of Spiritual Union. And if you're interested in more information about Solala, you can visit his website where you'll find his blog and also information about The Empty Vessel magazine, www.abodedao.com. The word abode and then t-a-o dot SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.